0: So mm-hmm. and to say, Natalie's the protagonist is sort of a uh, an esoteric. <laughs> like I, I think, I, Diana's not the protagonist. <laughs> you don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, look, Diana's the main character. It's that's the big part.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. And we're back again in the final week of our musical month. I I can't
0: believe it. It's gone by fast. We've talked about four really awesome musicals. It's been really just a blast. I love musicals, and it's fun to just do sort of a concentrated time on musicals
1: yeah i I agree. I think what we definitely learned from doing this month is that we need to bring them in and and kind of you know, bring them in as flavor every once in a while a bit more because I've really enjoyed the the way we've been able to talk about, you know, themes and how it it's it's unique to be able to talk, you know, do dramatic criticism about musical beyond just enjoyment as well right so. because yeah,
0: so much of musical is 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 spectacle and feeling you know that's just so mm-hmm. much of what music is that then to, to be able to look at text and theme and character in a really serious way without doing the production has has been really fun so if you are somebody who is uh, just I'm so upset that we haven't done your favorite musical <laughs> uh you know some some sometime in the in the future we will probably end up doing musicals like the last five years like man of yeah. la Mancha like the music man you know we we have there's a lot of great musicals in theater Dum, and we're gonna get to
1: them yes indeed so you know, drop us a line. If we if one of your favorites are out there, we'd be happy to consider it for a podcast. But this week, we are doing the final play of this month, which is Next to Normal, the musical with lyrics and books by Brian Yorkey and music by Tom Kitt. This is uh, 2008 was the premiere of this musical. It premiered uh, off-off-Broadway in, like, workshops and stuff um, before it, it, it came to Broadway in April of 2009. Um, It it ran for a while there, a good long time, and it was nominated for 11 Tonys that season, um, won three of them uh, for original score, best orchestration, and uh, best performance by a leading actress. So uh, a well-acclaimed play, and it also won a Pulitzer that year, and we've actually talked about this play before within the context of Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, because uh, it beat, uh, next to normal beat, Bengal Tiger that year for the Pulitzer. And
0: boy, are those very different plays.
1: <laughs> <Holy cow.
0: laughs>
1: I don't know Talk how, don't know how you'd ever
0: compare them. I mean, to think about the work that the Pulitzer <laughs> group has to do, if you're a group of playwrights and educators and experts and you read next to normal and then you read Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo, how, how do you even go about comparing them? Yeah. <laughs> I, or or just, judging
1: which is best. Right.
0: I mean, that... What a crazy thing to ask someone to do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, we're going to kind of jump into this one, though. We've got, it's it's a, you know, I'm going to hand over the synopsis to you in a second here, Jacob, but I'm very excited to get to talk about this play. This is a play that I've known for a while. Um, uh, I, I think we started singing it in college around, you know, 2011 or whenever that was. Um, and uh, it's just a great musical. It's one that's been banging around in my head for a couple of years, so I'm, I'm psyched.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you are a person that is around and involved with theater, this is probably in the canon of songs that you and your comrades sing. Uh, That at least was the truth for Jackson and I, as you say, when we were in college. You know, this, Les Mis, Hamilton when it came out, uh, Moulin Rouge. There's just a lot of musicals that are eminently singable. And singable just for fun. And this is definitely one of them. Although not all of the songs are all that fun. Um, But (laughs) the, the, the sort of driving rock beat really is. If I had to just sort of summarize Next to Normal into a sentence, I would probably say that Next to Normal is a rock musical about mental illness. And if you're somebody who's just a uh, next-to-normal fanatic, just absolutely one of your favorite musicals of all time, you probably take issue with like both parts of that. It's maybe not <laughs> quite a rock musical in some of its musical, and it's about way more than mental illness. Yeah. But if you know, if you were forced to summarize it down, that's probably what it's about. It's about a family of... Let's say for now it's a family of four, and it's about the the mother, Diana, she has bipolar disorder. She was diagnosed um, about 16 years before the play starts, so it's been a long time living with this disease, this disorder, a long time of treatment. And a lot of the play is about her treatment for the disorder. She has delusions. She has uh, manic days and depressive days, and it's sort of about her family— coming around her in that time to try to maybe see her through, I think in their minds to a cure or to, you know, borrowing from the title back to normal. So that's, that's the broad scope of the play. We'll talk about kind of what happens on a, on a more detailed level. I'd like to start Jackson by making an observation, which is not one that I maybe thought I would make about this musical. Reading the musical and just listening to the music are really different experiences.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: That's not always true of musicals. Like, I feel like the band's visit, the, the the script just provided more context for the music, but it really felt like the same story. I've been listening to the Next to Normal music for years, and I read the script years ago, and even since the last time I've read it, when I reread it a couple of times this time, the story, the music just really changed. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. The... I I thought I thought that too. I listened to it long before I ever read it, and you know, got the songs ingrained in my head. And uh, and then reading it, I actually read it fairly recently for the first time, uh, all the way through, uh, along with the track. I listened to it as well, and it complete completely alters, just just turns it on its head. Basically, here's an example. Um,
0: There's a song, sort of first third of the play. I miss the mountains, and what has happened is that Diana has been, she's uh, on a medication regime now that is sort of evening her out Um, rather than you know as as manic depressive people suffer from these sort of really high mountains and really really low valleys she's on a medication now which sort of keeps her on flat land all the time which makes it hard for her to feel anything and so the song is partially about how she misses the experience of feeling things in big ways i miss the mountains you know you see the metaphor there I hate that song. I skip it when I'm listening to the musical. It's just so boring to me. It's just not my favorite song in the musical at all. Reading the play, it just blows that song wide open. Because what happens in the action, which you can't tell from listening, is so vital to her story. It's a real turning point. One of the things that I've not liked about the song is it just, if you're just listening to the music, it just feels like she's singing about her feelings which is always a boring thing to do in musicals, just sing about how you're feeling. But when you read the script and you see the stage directions, you see that she is making choices about her life. In that Mm -hmm. case, what she chooses to do is pour her medication down the toilet, not stop taking it, and not tell anyone. So that adds a lot of depth of
1: character to the song. Absolutely. The context that just... And it's not like there's pages of dialogue either. These are just like you know six lines in a row interjected between the song... You know, song stanzas, and and it's it's not that much actual text, but it has so much bearing on on how you treat the songs going forward. Um, everything from absolutely the stage directions is a great and great. I mean, so many of those stage directions mean the world. At the end of that song, she flushes the 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 pills down the toilet. That's something I never knew at the end of the, that was happening, and it completely changes how. Right. I And, and how like I was the thinking text of it.
0: the actual music, the lyrics, which you can hear if you listen to it, do have. You maybe get a little taste, a little idea of Natalie's journey into becoming an addict, Um, but nothing like what you get in the script. You really realize how it all happens and the journey on which she goes. You only maybe get one mention of it later on in the actual text of
1: the songs. Well, and Henry, as long as we're right there, Henry is a pretty underdeveloped character without the stage directions. Um, because he is, he does a lot on stage. He just doesn't sing a lot, other than the Hay songs and the the one number where he does the duet with the dad. There's not a lot. You don't. You don't. You don't, you're not able to pick his voice out of the the soundtrack itself very often. But he does a lot in dialogue and a lot in just what he's doing during the scenes as he's watching this family interact with each yeah. other. Yeah, uh, Henry
0: is one of my favorite characters. I think if if I could ever, if I could pick a character to play, I wouldn't even really be all that interested in playing Gabe or the dad. I'd really love to play Henry. Those Hay songs are beautiful. They're interesting. Yeah. They're characters with competing goals, battling each other in the text of the song. You know, that's what this musical at its best is so great at turning dialogue into music. Interesting dialogue. Yeah dialogue into music and at its worst it's not very good at that and the song lyrics <laughs> sometimes feel a little vapid at its worst but in those in those great crystallized moments the Hey songs being just a great example of that it's a trio maybe another fourth if you add perfect for you at the beginning those are just mm-hmm. for me the highlights of the musical in terms of snappy intelligent interesting competitive dialogue
1: the other kind of fun part that it does, along with the dialogue, is it parallels a lot. Um, both both figuratively, there are parallels to uh, each of the storylines happening, but then also literally on stage, two different scenes will be happening, and people will be singing very similar lines in two different scenes to their partners. Um, I'm thinking of a couple scenes, uh, uh, Henry... Oh, uh, Henry and Dan uh, both think, sing basically the same lines to Diane or to Natalie and Diana, respectively. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of which song that is. Yeah, that's um, the, looking... the the
0: song about promise, a promise a boy makes forever. Yeah, um, it's in response to this is very late in the musical, and we probably won't reveal the plot point quite yet. We'll talk about it, I'm sure, later on. But essentially, Dan has uh, pretty seriously betrayed Diana in his caretaking of her, and so she is singing a song about. Why you know, why shouldn't I just leave? And Natalie at the same time is going through not quite a betrayal, but a different struggle with Henry. And so she's also singing, why shouldn't I just end this relationship and leave? They're both, you know, kind of bordering on suicide as a leave this world as well. So they sing that song, and in response, Dan and Henry sing a song about it's sort of about I mean for For want of being sexist, it's sort of about like a man's responsibility in a relationship. And it, you know, Dan is an older, middle aged guy. So he has some different sensibilities than maybe a younger generation would have. So it sort of makes sense Mm -hmm. for him. And Henry doesn't sing all of the lyrics. So maybe he's absolved of some of the more patriarchal parts of Dan's version.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, it's good, a good, uh, good that you note that because Henry's lines do kind of vary a little bit from, it is a very classical, you know, a, 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 a promise a boy makes forever. Uh, Henry is talking about, you know, promising whatever, whatever matter, whatever happens, I'm going to stay there. And that's, that's like his rock that he's standing on. Um, and and but 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 you're right. Henry is is a little different than than Dan in that moment. And I, I like that. I like that we're able to see them both uh, running alongside each other, both kind of saying very similar things, but uh, allowing the two characters to be distinct even in those moments of 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 parallelism. parallelism. I'm gonna stop saying <laughs> that now.
0: <laughs> it's a tough word. It's a tough word. I sympathize.
1: Yeah, it's a tough one. I think we got to talk about. I, I think we'll be stinted throughout this conversation if we don't talk about the main elephant in the room, literally throughout the whole play, quite early on, which is the character yeah, of Gabe.
0: This is an amazingly well set up plot twist. You may see if you're a really sharp listener and probably even more so if you're watching rather than reading and even more so if you're reading rather than just listening to the soundtrack, you'll catch what ends up happening earlier than it actually happens. But I am curious, maybe someone told you earlier on, Jackson, but did you know that of this twist prior to reading the script? Could you get it from the music or maybe did somebody spoil it for you? It's been around for a while.
1: I did manage to get it from the music, but I think I, I think it probably took me many listens through and going all the way to the end to figure mm-hmm. it out because it is a pretty substantial twist and it's so well layered. Um, but the music itself, he's just always around. So so we're going to get down to brass tacks because we're we're right here right now. Gabe is um uh, is is the son of Diana and Dan. And he shows up, he's the first character on stage with Diana. And uh, they have a conversation with each other and he, he heads out of the room. And he kind of has this this flow where... He's around, but Diana's the only one who ever talks but to him But not directly. in a
0: noticeable way. And that's what's so genius about it, is that the, yeah. the, the script really just sort of avoids you having to think about that problem until it arrives. And then you look back and right. go, oh, that is true. They never talked. But the script doesn't make it so obvious that... They never – that Dan and Gabe or Natalie and Gabe never interact. It is only Diana Mm -hmm. and Gabe. But Gabe is in the family scenes. It's just that Diana is the only one who directly answers him. But gosh, it's just the the writing of it makes it so that Dana could be answering anybody, so it never feels like she's talking to the air until after the plot twist is revealed, and the plot twist is—I just gave it away, but let's say it clearly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the plot twist uh, eventually it comes uh, to full light that Gabe died a long time ago. And Gabe died as a as like th- an eight month old think- as a baby. Eight month old, yeah, yeah. There's there's a little. The music and the script are different, or at least my script is eight or eighteen month. But he died very young, um, and uh, is kind of the inciting incident for a lot of uh, uh, Diana's and and other people's kind of mental um, uh, delusion and uh, and. Uh, Struggles. Right. And so um, the scene
0: where it's revealed is just lovely. So all throughout, mm-hmm. if
1: if you just give yourself
0: over and if you haven't just managed to catch it already, all throughout, you've just believed that Gabe is the son. He's brother with Natalie. They're all just part of this yep. family. So then there's this big dinner scene and it's it's just after the scene where Diane has poured her medication away. And her medication has kept her from having the delusions, uh, but now the delusions are back. And the delusion is that Gabe is still alive and is now an 18-year-old young man. And so they have a big yep. family dinner and they've the scripts and the music so well sets up that Dan, the, the dad married to Diana, is so excited and happy about how normal things are. The medication is working. <laughs> life is feels so much more smooth. He's not always taking Diana to the doctor. He's not always worrying. Family life is sort of finally picking up. He invites Henry, Natalie's boyfriend, to come in. And it feels like a normal event. Well, I got to meet the boyfriend. And they're all just talking and chatting and it's just, it's so happy the stakes are so high for Dan, like life is so good. And then Diana walks in with the birthday cake.
1: Yeah. And
0: Henry says, Whose birthday is it? And Natalie says, My brothers. And Henry says, I didn't know you had a brother. And Natalie says, I don't. And if yeah. that's uh, the first time I ever interacted with the musical, I read it. So I know I didn't ever pick it up for the music because I was just reading it. And just the pit drops out from under you. It's mm-hmm. just like whoa.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah! Absolutely, because it's set up throughout. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like that at all. And and even this. And this is a question I wanted. I, I kind of stored up, and it, when I was reading it, and I wanted to ask you about it because I watched a couple clips too. And and Gabe affects the world. Um, this is not like some other iterations of. Uh, of uh, ghosts or spirits or delusions or whatever they are. Um, most of the time, a lot of the time you see those characters appear and not being able to physically affect the world. They will try to manipulate characters to do what they want. Uh, Gabe grabs things. Gabe flushes the toilet. Uh, she dumps the pills in, but Gabe flushes the toilet. Um, and uh, Gabe, like, grabs a purse at one stage and leaves it out for Natalie to find it in one of the uh, the, the, the clips that I watched. And so so, what do you think about allowing this, um, what is essentially a, de- a delus- delusion, um, to have that much power on stage well, you, over the physical you, you world? You sort of
0: imagine that, that there's two parts to the answer. The first part is that some of that is just... The story showing us Diana's delusion. Like, in reality, Diana probably is the one flushing the toilet. But since we live the world of her delusion, she imagines that Gabe is doing it's sort of like Fight Club, right? You see him in a fight, and then you see the video camera, and it's really just him punching himself. So there's sort of that layer to it. Then the second layer is that the musical is highly theatrical. And there are scenes that take place outside of the real world, in the world of Gabe being an actor, talking to the other actors on stage in the world of um, d- delusions like at one point while Diana's undergoing an especially painful rigorous treatment she and Natalie have a conversation like in their respective delusions because at that point Natalie is high on drugs so there's th- there's things like yeah. that that happen too so probably both answers relate to that question, which is that, you know, Gabe, the real character, has no actual power in the real world. He's a figment of Diana's imagination. But Gabe, the actor uh, in Next to Normal, Gabe, the, the the character and part of the play, has some uh, power in the world of the theatrical, and uh, he also has power in, through Diana.
1: And that power is, you know, utilized often in the middle of fights, even, uh, between Dan and Diana he'll he'll inter kind of intercede um and and most of the time you don't see you don't see uh obviously you don't see Dan react to uh, his presence but Diana sure does yeah a great um, example of
0: that is the performance that happened at the Tonys you can watch that on yeah. YouTube they perform kind of a a climactic song it's probably the climax for the first half of the play or the first third of the play which is the revelation that Gabe is not alive and so the yeah. Diana and Dan have a sort of beautiful back and forth competition of their respective goals sort of pitted against each other and then Gabe intercedes and it becomes a, pl- a, a play in Diana's mind of Dan pulling her on one side towards you know his reality towards normality and Gabe pulling her on the other side towards grief and you know the love for her lost son And so she gets to watch this battle happen For Dan, it's not happening but we get to see that it is.
1: We live her delusion mm-hmm. Yeah a good chunk of the play is that is that that struggle right the the kind of the the polar struggle between those things and which way diana is going to flip a, a, a lot of it has you know there's a, there's a <laughs> if you want to play with a lot of great arguments um in musical musical form or otherwise um it's really great for that like really well balanced you're not sure who you're siding with and you just kind of watch them go um and that kind of brings me to like we, we've we kind of danced around this a little bit. I, I want to kind of drill in on Dan and Diana's dynamic a bit because it is, um, I think it's kind of a spiral of good intentions and hurt and history all working together to make this uh, mess <laughs> and, and this kind of... Um, this this situation that winds up coming about because Dan is kind of a caretaker for her in some ways. Um, You get the sense even early on, the first scene ends with her, she's making lunches for everyone. The first uh, musical number, Diana is cranking out sandwiches and she just keeps going and going and going and making more and more. She she doesn't stop. And uh, eventually Dan steps in, stops her, and then she goes into her psychopharmacologist. And
0: notably, he has to take her in. Uh, he he yeah. uh, in that in the dialogue that happens between the verses of the song, this is something you wouldn't you'd only get from reading or seeing the play. You don't get from listening to it. Um, in the dialogue, it's revealed that he has to go to work for some presentation, doesn't have time to do the shopping. So he definitely doesn't have time to take her to the doctor, but he ends up right. needing to do it because she has some sort of episode, um, I, whether it's manic or depressive, I'm not entirely sure. Um, but that's sort of her life is a series of unexpected catastrophes. And it's Dan's life, too, which is at one point he even says that, you know, a lot of his life is spent at work waiting for the phone to ring. Waiting for the bad thing to happen.
1: And a lot of, I feel like a lot of the journey that we go on as the audience watching Dan is wondering whether he is, hmm, it's wondering about, you know, what his intentions versus what comes about by what, by his actions are. Because I think his intentions are to be this, you know, uh, kind of, kind of, we've already said it, this kind of caring, classical, you know, older school male version of the marriage and be the caretaker and the person who protects. And and um, he he has a song about uh, what, what his role in is the house and in the house and to keep it together. Right.
0: It's that first musical number, his solo verse. All the characters sing sort of a solo verse about their goals their life who they are and his solo verse the first line is like you know it's up to you to hold your house together and that that of course Mm -hmm. is that sort of classic you know man is the backbone of the house sort of outlook and on the Mm -hmm. one hand it probably does come from him being an older middle-aged man having grown up in that on the other hand even if the roles were reversed and he was the one in living in psychotic breaks and Diana was the more healthy one, she would be the one holding the house together. So it, it part mm-hmm. of it is just also that he's the, he's the he's the healthy adult, the one presenting
1: as healthy. Right. at Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think what it becomes is the the Tony scene. we brought that up and look it up on YouTube. We may even include it in the in the podcast description down below. But uh, look it up because what what struck me in that performance of it, which I didn't get from listening to the music and I didn't get from reading it, is how um, ooh, overbearing or maybe oppressive in control he is on stage. Um, he's like very put together. the 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 way the actor was playing him, and I think that's a that would be a big decision for the actor to play is how um, how uh, intent. He is um, in these things, because if you can play him pretty collected, right. And that can come off as maybe a little bit more manipulative than just caring. Well, I think, I think the, that's the, the struggle. question
0: of, of the actor playing Dan is how noble is his goal? Because yeah. Dan's goal, I, I doubt that I'm saying anything controversial. Dan's goal is for things to be back to normal again. It's going to be good at, at whatever cost. Yeah, exactly. And that that's, that's mm-hmm. either a, a noble goal or not. For people right. who live in a world where their loved ones have mental illness, the thought of just getting back to normal, just to have a life that seems like it's everybody else's life is a fairly attractive one. But that may not be a very noble goal, uh, especially mm-hmm. when it especially like what I said when it comes at all costs.
1: Right. And it does come at a pretty high cost. In this musical, we, first of all, th- we go through a lot of stages in this musical. We cover a lot of time. We cover months of time in this musical. Um, weeks go by in the course of, you know, one one number. Um, at the end of act one, it is decided that, she, that Diana will go through ECT treatment.
0: Right, because the, the first act is really built around sort of a three-part structure, and it's three parts of her treatment. At the beginning of the play, she's on a medication treatment – And it had that ends in the climax we've talked about. I miss the mountains where she pulls the medication because all that does for her is turn her into sort of a zombie without any real emotions. And she actually becomes sort of manipulative because she doesn't have any emotions using things like sex and um, affection as a way to sort of be left alone by the family. Um, yeah. yeah, or to get what she wants out of them. And, and you see that that's sort of the result of her being medicated to the point where she doesn't actually feel the things that are connected to that. So that's sort of the first act. The second act, she's done with medication, she doesn't want to go back. So she just goes to talk therapy. And there's she goes to a new doctor at that point. And there's some scenes with talk therapy and hypnosis. But ultimately, those scenes end in a suicide attempt. And so this third act of the first – the third act of the first act is about <laughs> the decision of whether she's going to have shock therapy, um, You know, whatever the p- new politically correct term is. It probably has even changed since the script came out of what yeah. you know, the, the technical term is for electric shock therapy. ECT is what they call it in the musical.
1: And that winds up coming at a significant cost both to her and to the family. She loses a large chunk of her memory. And that's a lot of the second act of the play is can we get can we get her memories back and what happens if slash when we do. Or it if- See, that,
0: that – the question of getting her memory back is one of the places where Dan seems the most manipulative and where his, his intentions become the most in question because it's not just yeah. can we get her memory back. He wants to get her memory back better than it was and not like yeah. she has better memory but that she has better memories. Mm-hmm. So he in reteaching her her life lies and deliberately omits thing. You know, he tells her about this beautiful wedding ceremony that they had, and Natalie says, you know, it was <laughs> raining, it was Portland, and you eloped. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's Some of them, <laughs> so the scenes are funny, but that content has some sort of questionable elements, and he deliberately Absolutely. omits some to...
1: hard things as well. Mm-hmm. He's trying to, like, recraft her brain and, like, yeah, a, a very manipulatively restructure their history. I think he even says that at one point. This is a chance to kind of restart. Mm-hmm. We're going to get and us back uh, to better than before. That's his goal. Because yeah.
0: in the first act, it just seems a lot of, like a lot of his goals just to to live a relatively normal, unstressful life to the best of his ability. Have his family life mm-hmm. not be the source of most of his stress. Then in the second act, it sort of advances, and perhaps the suicide attempt. He does have a a, a really beautiful. beautiful. Beautiful song after she commits, she attempts. Sorry, not commits. She attempts to commit suicide, um, and the song is about, you know, how how could she leave me after everything? I'm going to be left alone in all of this. Natalie's going to go to college. She's trying to kill herself. I'm going to end up alone. After all these years mm-hmm. of commitment to building a family and a home and caretaking. And so you, you, I, I sort of imagine if I were playing Dan, her attempt to commit suicide would be the turning point. Where I would say, now it's really no holds barred. Now, it's, right. now, we, now we're doing whatever we can to get back. And he decides that he doesn't just want to get back to good, but get back to better than before.
1: Mm-hmm. But it winds up, all of his strategies just... I think it's so uh, poignant that they completely fail. <laughs> like each time, even within that short song, when he's he's trying to show her the best pictures, she doesn't remember really clearly any of them. Um, as he's trying to, you know, show her things, he shows them, uh, you know, her, their wedding rings, and she says, these are trinkets that we got in Atlantic City, right? And he's like, no, they're our wedding rings. Um, but then it's Natalie who actually manages to trigger real memory (laughs) recovery. Natalie shows her the, the images that were tough, that were, you know, the real things that happened. And she begins to bring her memory back. He, He, Dan tries to hold back information about Gabe, especially after the electroshock therapy. And, um, and it, again, it's it's the music box, this recurring theme of the music box throughout the play that really triggers a huge chunk of her memory to come back. So ma- no matter how hard he tries to uh, mm, let's use manipulate, he, no matter how hard he tries to manipulate it, the mind and and Gabe and um, the rest, what what really happened eventually comes to light.
0: And you wonder, is his manipulation the thing that ultimately causes the collapse? what if when when she comes out of electric shock therapy ect he simply presents her the world as it actually is does the does the work of actually teaching her her real life instead of trying to create a better life for for a better history for themselves would the result of the shock because what happens is that diana learns from her doctor um not from dan that dan is right. that her that she had a son And it it brings back in sort of this traumatic moment all of the memories at once and reveals to her that her caretaker, the person who's actually been literally teaching her what her life is, has been lying Mm -hmm. and omitting things from her. So it becomes a traumatic, shocking, big revelation for the character, which causes the collapse ultimately of their marriage. And you wonder, what if he had done the work of saying, let me tell you about Gabe? before all of this? Are his manipulations what caused the collapse?
1: Uh, Because he sits in that, that zone of like trying to recreate the past and go back to what happened before and make it go back and make it better than before rather than loving his, loving his wife and loving his family really in where it has gone. And not not being able to adapt to that is maybe his tragic flaw, and, and we're character. being fairly hard on him when you
0: when you read when you listen when you watch the musical. One thing that comes clear is that. This has been going on for 16 years. She's, she was diagnosed 16 right. years ago and probably her doctor said had some manic depressive characteristics before that as well. And then the, the trauma of losing her son brought about sort of the full manifestation of the disorder. And one thing that is true mm-hmm. about Dan is that he is tired. That, I mean, that is a yep. huge part of his character is that this has been going on for 16 years with no sign of getting better. And he's become exhausted. And so you, you probably mm-hmm. imagine that if we looked at the 16-year course of that part of his life, his his intentions, his motives, his tactics probably started off a lot better than they seem to us now. But that's sure. after yeah, I- exhaustion and battle for 16 years
1: and time has passed. Like yep.
0: like they say in, in the in the great back and forth scene when when it's discovered that she's still having delusions of Gabe, the big one that you can watch the Tony Award presentation. You know, his first line of that battle is, can you tell me what it is you're afraid of? Can you tell me why I'm afraid it's me? And and it's mm-hmm. that tension that is somehow my somehow I'm part of this and I don't know why or how or how to make it better.
1: Right. And no matter what I do, it tends to go around the other way. Right. So, you know, then. he's had a lot
0: of attempts over 16 years to improve the situation, mm-hmm. to care for his wife. We happen to be seeing this year, this several months, whatever, of the ones that go the most disastrously wrong <laughs> at the end. Right. So I think you have mm-hmm. to remember that when you consider the character of Dan, that we're probably seeing the worst of his 16 years because sure. of the long haul.
1: And then as a way to kind of... Uh, let's, let's kind of pivot a little bit within this, this, this tension and talk about Diane for a little while, uh, straight out of that song, actually, where the, 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 uh, uh you don't know, um, her, her big line in there is, is you don't know, you think, you, you think you know what I'm going through. You really, you really don't. Um, you can't kind of grasp the, the, uh, the amount of confusion and, uh, you know, grappling with the delusion of Gabe and and the the swings, the the mountains and the valleys of this. He she's saying he, he really can't understand what her side of what is going and, on. And she also
0: levels. Is, it's not just that he can't understand, but then she also levels the accusation that if it's true that he feels the amount of grief and depression that she feels, he's not letting it show. That potentially. Uh, Potentially you may feel this loss even after all these years like I do, but you are hiding it. You are
1: not being authentic. You're just a sort of a pretender. And that, that's kind of – I think that is – Gabe brings that up, that, that especially Diana and, and Dan as well, definitely Dan, and we'll eventually get around to what's, what's going on with Dan. Um, I don't think they ever really grieved Gabe. I think, uh, you know, you, you, you get the impression that um, Dan is kind of the per- a person who, you know, pushes forward and focuses. And I think, I don't think Diana, that's, I think that's a huge part of the, uh, uh, Gabe talks about the damage that was done. And that, you, you know, they, they, when, when they do electroshock shock therapy, they, they, I think the analogy is they ripped him out, but they didn't fill in the hole and there's still grieving to be done that between these two that never came about and and that may be what she's referring it to hasn't too that happened in, that, is in why 16 aren't you- years and
0: and you think about some yeah. of the timeline details that totally support that we know that Gabe died 17 years ago that's told to us late in the play very specifically natalie is 16 and it's specifically yeah. said that, that they had in a therapy session, it's revealed that they had Natalie as a way to recover from the shock of losing Gabe. So do the math in your head and figure out how yeah. quickly after losing Gabe they had another child. So even timeline mm-hmm. details like that suggest you're right, Jackson, that whatever happened in this terrible situation long ago, they probably did not – take time together as a couple to experience the loss and work through it together. Another sort of piece of evidence that suggests that is uh, very late in the play uh, Diana has gone to her doctor again after much of what we've already talked about and She's deciding at this point whether to have any treatment at all moving forward, or whether she's just mm-hmm. going to try to live her life as it is. And she says one of the reasons that she mistrusts this whole system is that one of her very first therapists long ago said any grief that lasts past four months is is pathological, is um, um, is a disorder and should be medicated. Is is something that is not natural. And and her response is, well, four months? So what, yeah. I'm only supposed to grieve my son for four? I'd lost a child. And you're telling me that I had four months to grieve him and then I was supposed to wipe my nose and get on with it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, there's, there's a whole bunch of kind of fascinating... Uh, keep in mind, this play was written... Uh, ten years ago, <laughs> goodness, um, and a lot of change has happened within that field about the language that is used. But there's a lot of uh, you know contention around when to treat, how to treat, um, and and the the effects that 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 has are around them as well.
0: One of the battles on that theme, Jackson, of treatment is sort of the swing between grief, like natural, real grief and mental illness. And there's several songs which, which sort of talk about this. One of them, Gabe sings, when he's talking about how he um they they've removed him he's singing a song about how the ECT has sort of temporarily worked he's been removed from her brain and her consciousness but he's still there it's it's sort of a super villain sort of song really <laughs> it's kind of creepy <laughs> um and he he has a line in there that's something about you, you know if you sear the you can treat some what things go on in the brain but if you sear the soul you leave a scar that treatment can't touch and then later on Diana sort of echoes that too when she says she has a whole song about how all this medication she received and what if they they've just been treating the wrong thing i think the line is actually what if the break the burn the whatever was never in my brain or in my blood but in my soul so that Mm -hmm. question of whether whether what is being experienced is real is a a mental illness that can be treated and effectively uh relieved through medication or whatever is that Or whether it's grief that is natural and never going away and part of life or even if there's a difference between those two things in this case is a big question. And it's it's one of the – it's one of the tough things about the musical because so much Mm -hmm. of what we know about mental illness is that a lot of it – a lot of mental illness in the world has been brought about by traumatic circumstances. And so – you know, what, what is mental illness in relationship to grief? How can treatment like medication or talk therapy or uh, ECT in this musical really combat true grief for just the experiences of
1: life? And the way people carry grief as well has so much to do with that. Because we find out by the end of the play that, you know, Dan, <laughs> we're going to spoil everything. So, you know, turn it off if you really don't want spoilers. Dan can see Gabe. Um, It's it's one of the,
0: it's one of my favorite scenes of any musical ever. Yeah. Um, Ultimately, Next to Normal is not probably in my top 20 musicals. Uh, I think it's great, (laughs) but it's not my favorite. But that scene might Mm -hmm. be in my top three scenes of any musical of all time ever. This is the very end of the play. And the whole play, Dan has out and out ignored Gabe. And I I think as a production team, you'd have to in order for this scene to be real. To make the impact you want it to make, you can't give away that it's going to happen at all. It's sort of, um, you know, when you have things like plot twists like this, a lot of the common wisdom is that you need to sort of give the clues leading up. And there probably are mm-hmm. some, but for this plot twist specifically to have the impact you want it to have, you really can't give give it away to the audience at all. And so it's it's the end of the play. Diana has decided to leave um, him and Natalie sort of to go out on her own her, she's decided she's not going to have medica- medication right now she's not going to do any more ACT she wants to work through things on her own partially because of Dan's betrayal that it's revealed mm-hmm. that he might not be a very noble caretaker of her ultimately at this point in their lives and she also I think realizes that she might be causing more harm to the family than she can than she chooses to live with so, it might be mm-hmm. best for the family right now if she takes some time to try to work through things on her own. Whatever the reasons, she decides to leave. So, Dan is left alone and he sings a, a refrain, an earlier refrain about how, you know, he's the one who took care of her all this time. I'm the one who knows you. And then Gabe appears to him. And he he yeah. ignores him successfully for a few lines before he find before mm-hmm. Gabe finally says, you know, I'm I'm staying, I'm still here. And he finally goes, can't you just leave me alone? And yeah. just
1: the, yeah, it's like a stab in the side. Mm-hmm. The whole yeah, that it absolutely is in so many ways. Both as the viewer that you've been lied to this whole time, but also knowing knowing that he could see especially within this theatrical, extra theatrical world that he was able to see him and, you know, possibly hear him through all of that, um, through the whole play. And there are scenes where there are yelling at Diana between them. Um, Dan and, and Gabe are, are, uh, you know, arguing to Diana about each other and they, they aren't acknowledged or Dan is not acknowledging Gabe. So that element of, in the face of that, he kept going as if Gabe wasn't there. That he couldn't understand the the argument that he couldn't understand. And like in kind the of real world,
0: y- you know, if they were both having this I- intense of a delusion, you know, he wouldn't be seeing Diana's delusion. Delusion, right? But we don't live in the real world. We live in the theatrical world, and you imagine mm-hmm. that in the theatrical world, the delusions are sort of one and the same. Because right. he even says, you know, at the end there, why didn't you go with her? Why didn't you leave with Diana? So his, yeah. his association of is Gabe sort of as part of Diana's world. So that means through mm-hmm. this life of this delusion living in his house, he has ignored it. You know, that's it's, it's mm-hmm. sort of a glimpse into a different way to cope with grief, a, a different yeah. ultimately equally unsuccessful way to cope with grief, right. which is just ignoring it.
1: Right. And, and yeah keep calm and carry on um but but ultimately that is Gabe is the seed for both of them that that needs to be acknowledged, not necessarily rooted out, acknowledged and dealt with and and we we go on for a final number after this into seeing that Dan, probably does uh, end up getting some form of right, treatment right yeah and for it. in
0: the next song he, he he goes to in the final song really he goes to that doctor and he's trying to find some information on his wife he says you know i know that you can't tell me if she's going to treatment there's legal issues with that all i want to know is if she's okay and the doctor says right. yes i you know i can't tell you anything i can't even tell you if she's being treated but what i can say is she you know i think she, i think she's probably working through things on her own and whatever but then he asks this question which is dan do you need me can i help you find someone to talk to and he
1: does he say anything or is it he just says yes. uh, he says yes he says yes okay he, i couldn't know, remember he if he like shook a, his head or not
0: sort of a i don't know a, a kind of a classic theater like no 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 okay yes
1: <laughs> yeah yep <laughs> Yeah. And you see that the, the, the kind of the stage directions for the final number at least have him leaving with a prescription for things. And you get the get the idea that he's going to be dealing with that as well. Um, the whole family really then, too, is carrying this grief because Natalie, who we've barely talked about at all, as we've mentioned, kind of came into life as this perceived she perceives herself as a replacement for someone who is no longer there. And, and to never, never have seen that person but still feel that weight ends up messing with her quite a bit in this Right. Play. She
0: sings a song, and it's not my favorite song in the musical, but I think it is an important insight into her character. The song is Superboy and the Invisible Girl. And the song is yeah. about how she perceives that her mother especially has imagined Gabe to be this perfect son. And he's not even real, whereas she's this invisible child. She doesn't even isn't paid attention to. In a therapy session, Diana reveals that in the hospital, she couldn't even hold Natalie because yeah. of this sort mm-hmm. of grief and delusion and and pain of losing her her prior son. So and we get glimpses into what their life has been like all along and and the life has really been that Natalie has been ignored by Diana. Uh, or or hurt in lots of different ways. And Diana's contention in response to all this accusation is, I, you know, I've really done the best that I can. <laughs> At one point she sings, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've loved you the best that I can, given all of what I'm going through. There, I couldn't have really been better.
1: Well, and Natalie uh, tries so hard uh, before the events of this play to get her to love her more. Um, you know, she she's... Trying to get into a, a Ivy League school by way of playing music so well, <laughs> like we we the first number that is her the first solo that she has is her playing Mozart, um and she's she's practicing for recitals and she, a lot a huge moment of betrayal is when her mom doesn't come to her recitals and uh, you know we know that she's on a swim team and she is you know throwing herself into that as well for to, to try to try to get try to get her mom especially to acknowledge her. Well, the claim <laughs> and- is,
0: in, in that Mozart song she sings, the claim is that she's doing all this so that she can leave, so she can get into the yeah. school she wants to go, leave her family and never look back because her life has been fairly hard. Uh, we're living mm-hmm. in this house with these particular sets of challenges and and mental illness. And Natalie probably has her own forms of this these sorts of things, including that, Along the way, she starts to steal her mother's pills and gets hooked. And, you know, at one point, Henry, who is her sort of boyfriend at the time, says, this is like the fifth night this week. I've had to come and pick you up because you're unconscious at some random club. You know, we really see Natalie devolve a lot in this time, sort of in the way that we've talked about that we see Dan's motives sort of take a sharp nosedive. We see Natalie's composure and we see everything sort of crack a a lot more now in this chunk of time than probably happened through the rest of her, through her past.
1: Mm -hmm. And yet she does end up as one of the more, uh, hopeful, you know, light at the end. Literally her last song is about bringing light into, uh, the house because, uh, Diane has left, uh, Dan and Gabe have this scene and she comes home and Dan's home and all the lights are off. And, uh, she comes in and, And she comes from having just uh, gotten to the dance that she didn't want to go to or at least said she didn't want to go to for much of the play with Henry. And she comes home. She turns on the lights and kind of ends the play, gets the spark for the end of the play via bringing light into a situation now that has been completely darkened. Let's talk about that while we're
0: here. I don't want that to be the last thing we talk about because I have one more burning question for you. But while we're here, let's talk about this last song. Uh, before, we, uh, before we actually started recording, Jackson and I were discussing this and uh, Jackson told me that in the way that he had been listening to the musical a, a while ago, his copy <laughs> of it had not had the last song. And so for him, yeah. the musical, as he understood it, ended with the Dan and Gabe coming together finally. The admission that he can finally see Gabe, um, and actually uh, finally, Gabe makes him say his name, which is a big thing for Dan throughout the whole play. He's he's not he's tried not to say the name of their son, except when he has to. Uh, now we know, long time later, that it's because it causes him so much pain. But the end of the musical for Jackson was Gabe and Dan finally. Coming together after all this time, Dan admitting his grief, saying the name of his grief and whatever that means. Um, And then after that, this this last song that Jackson didn't have is a totally different world of a song. And golly, <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I when Jackson said that he his you know his experience of the musical was that the musical ended with uh, Dan finally saying, "Your name is Gabe. I've known you this whole time." I was like, "That's the best ending for this musical. <laughs> I wish I could have experienced this musical with that as the ending." I really don't like <laughs> the last song. I it, it, it's. It's, it, to me, it feels like, the last song feels like they've taken this beautifully complex, um, deep, enriched musical with these complex battling characters. They've taken it all, and then they decide to take a little book out of Aesop's Fable and like just say, oh, by the way, here's the moral of the story. <laughs> right. Just, I'm like, come <laughs> on. Yeah. It's, the song is about how they need to find light at the end of all this darkness and they're all you know, they're going to be working through it the darkest skies. Someday we'll see the sun. and you know, Natalie reveals that she's learned all about how the, you know the price we pay to feel anything is the price of loss. And it's like, what, why you gotta tell me that? Can, 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 can you let me figure out what the musical is about without you singing about it for two
1: minutes? leave it unsaid you feel that it's better to let you let you fill in the blank I, the,
0: the part of that song I love is I love the scene where Dan goes to see the therapist which we've talked about and and the therapist tells him that Natalie's or uh, Diana's okay and recommends him to see someone I like that denouement but the actual mm-hmm. song itself is it, I, I I I actually um, whenever I have listened to this musical through there are some songs I skip and I skipped last one. So. sure sure
1: I think that's where the tension between uh a play and a musical comes into effect. I think what it does within the context of of it being a play is put a band-aid on it, right at the very end, um which is not something you generally maybe you want to do sometimes, but it's maybe a little bit sloppier, right? Like saying at the end, it'll be fine, we're looking for a light, leaving it, you know, uh perfectly or not perfectly. Um Said outright is generally not a good move um, within the context of a play because you want people to think, you want people to engage, you want people to walk away thinking about ways it could have gone. However, I think this is an instance where it being a musical really shines because you you can't leave. <laughs> I mean, you can't. You you could leave with that that feeling of that that hard struck chord. Um, Gabe says, "Hi, Dad!" Bong, and you leave. Um, but I think we are fulfilled as an audience on the journey that we went through by having the whole family come back out on stage and belt this song together about light.
0: But my question is, is it an earned fulfillment? For, to me, it feels like a really vapid fulfillment of a very complex musical. Because we, we end prior to this song. Uh, Diana has left. Dan has admitted to the world that he has, is suffering the same delusion. Only really Natalie's mm. story has ended in a way that has any sort of light. So then they <laughs> sing the song about how everything's gonna eventually be okay. We're gonna keep working through it and ultimately, you know, come to some positive light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm like I just feel like we haven't we haven't seen that part of the story yet. All that light at the end of the tunnel, all the hard working through, that's not where we are in the story. You know, mm-hmm. uh, one time when I was in college, I wrote a 10-minute play for a festival, and a group of us put it on, and I had the professors watch it and give some feedback before we went to festival. And this play was sort of a similar story to Next to Normal, actually, about grief and mental illness and brokenness. And at the end of the play, I had taken some work. I would interviewed – this is a true story that I wrote. I interviewed the the guy who lived it, and he gave me some really beautiful – Discussions about where he was in his life now, many years later, and I ended my play with some some straight quotes from him about how he, about how he's working through it and seeing the sort of the beauty. It was a Christian play, seeing the beauty of God's restoration in the in the midst of all of this hardship. And the response that I got from the professors was that they weren't sure that I had earned that. That the play ended in, hmm. in a hard place, a complicated, real, tense, hard place, and then I felt the need to put this like, but it's going to be a, a, all okay in the end thing on it and that's exactly how I feel about this musical the musical ends in a beautiful Mm. tough real place where some characters have gone through some real journeys Diana's journey is realizing that she needs to leave to be able to fly that, that that healing is not maybe going to happen in the context of this relationship. Dan, if you end it before light, his journey is finally admitting that he is experiencing the same grief so that he can maybe work through it. Natalie's journey is her and Henry saying, in the midst of all this craziness, at least we can love each other the way you should be loved. That is a beautiful, real, wonderful ending. And then they got to say, hey, it's going to be okay. <laughs> By the way, it's just not earned, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I definitely hear what you're saying and I think I ultimately agree with you as a way of being interesting and opposing you for one more beat. <laughs> Do it, please. I, <laughs> think, <laughs> I think the other the, the other thing to note in a, if you zoom out all the way to meta, you have an opening number about pushing through, trying and and it's they talk about raining and it's dark and gloomy and they just they're. Heads are down, they're not looking towards the end of the tunnel, they're just looking down, and they're keeping going. If you bookend, bookend it with this song about, we're going to keep going, we're going to keep looking, and then we're going to look for the light, and that's what we're going to push for at the end. I think that shows, I I think you, I think. you. I think you're right about the earning. We're not there in the story yet. I feel like there could be a whole other act, and if time was infinite for us to spend with them, we could go through a whole other act to earn it in the end. But I do like that it takes us on a journey of dark, raining, trying hard, grinding away at this thing that isn't working, to we're going to break it, and then we're going to keep trying to go forward towards the light at the end of the
0: tunnel. You you just said uh, something that I really liked, and so let me propose an alternate ending. So the story (laughs) ends um, – it cuts off after Dan admits that Gabe's there. Maybe you even do a little scene where Natalie comes home and discovers that Diana has, has left. Whatever. Then do a a re a reprise of just another day where the characters sort of sit, it might be a little cheesy because Just Another Day is sort of a cheesy song, but reprise that music and then let the characters sing about the specific ways in which they're going to keep moving forward. Let Diana sing mm-hmm. a song about the what she's continuing to do in treatment. Then you can play out that scene where Dan goes to the, to the therapist. Then you can play out a little bit more of Natalie and Henry's story after the dance. Let, let's see. I think what bothers me about the last song is its total lack of specificity. It's just yeah. a song about how things will be okay in the end, without giving us any inclination of of how the story moves forward towards that ending. I mm. love and an opportunity a, to hear the characters tell us what are they moving forward through into the light.
1: And it's a new song. I think you're hitting on something yeah. really important there too, is it's it's a new melody line. Um we're we're not familiar with this. It doesn't carry over much from the other songs, and I love the idea. Of putting just another day at the end as or well. Or
0: put, let there be light, or let whatever it's called. We need some light, whatever it is. Put yeah. that earlier in the show. <laughs> (laughs) because I think you just nailed, potentially and I had never thought of this, but you maybe have just nailed my ultimate objection to it which is that it's a brand new theme and new idea that somehow things will be okay anyway. The rest of the musical does not really carry much of that theme, that things will be okay (laughs) in the end. There's light at the end of the dark storm. There's not much of that in the rest of the musical until that song. So maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, working so that that theme is more interwoven in the story or Finding a way to echo the already existing theme of things aren't okay, but we're living another day.
1: Mm -hmm. And we were just, I I absolutely agree with that because we were just told, like, not but 10 pages ago, that next to normal is what we're shooting for. Yes. Like, we're not going towards perfect. We're not going towards, you know, a great thing at the end. We're going for somewhere adjacent to just maybe sort of normal. Right.
0: This is one Um. of the great uh, examples of weaving in the title into the dialogue. It maybe falls on the cheesy side of great, but I think works pretty well. Diana's got this beautiful song for Natalie where she says, you know, look, I've really screwed this up through my life of being your mother and taking care of you. And we tried to give you this normal life and we really failed. And Natalie says, look... I know that we can never have a normal life given everything that everyone has gone through. But something next to normal, could we aim for that instead? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So final question. Last topic of discussion. It, it may go on longer than we want depending on how much we disagree. Uh, <laughs> who is the protagonist of this story? Who is, mm. if, if you had to pick one character, whose story is it? Whose is it? I mean, it's, a, it's really a story about a family, yada, yada, yada. But who within that family, who carry, I mean, who's the protagonist?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to go with the obvious. I'm going to argue for Diana. Um, I think that she goes on the, uh, the greatest journey. Amongst them, because she goes from a place of, you know, at the start of the play, she is uh, going through uh, kind of grappling with with her demons, whatever they may be. She is uh, trying to do life uh, either lightly medicated or on her own, and that doesn't work. So then she goes through treatment and treatment and treatment and treatment. We go through a whole past. She loses her entire past. She grows again into a knowledge of a good chunk of her past. And with that new... Uh, perspective, she decides that this isn't working, and she has to go off on on her own path for a while for the betterment of herself and the rest of the family as well. So I think I would say, Diana, I think
0: that that is that that that's right in a lot of ways. Her story certainly is, maybe the backbone of this, the larger story of the play it's because all the characters sort of revolve around her. And that makes her a really strong argument for the protagonist, and it definitely makes her the main character. There might be a yeah. difference between those two, um, but she's definitely the main character. Um, she, to me, potentially feels like the protagonist of a longer story. I'm not sure that her story ends with It's certainly there's a journey, but it may not be a journey towards something. You feel like if there's a next to normal part two and we get we see where that journey concludes for her, that that um, she might be like the structural protagonist of that story. I also sure. am not sure that I – th- I think Dan is probably the same. I have often argued that I think Natalie might be the proper protagonist of this story. Her journey certainly hmm. begins, follows some changes. We watch her do something and then comes to some conclusion in her life. Um, her – you know, she starts in a place that – her story feels like at least for the purpose of the play we we've come to the resolution of that story now her life will go on and she'll have other conflicts but the conflict of the play for her feels like it's done at the end of the play another yeah. maybe Maybe a lamer argument, but uh, one that I like to make, it, mostly because it makes me sound <laughs> smart, is that um, in <laughs> in musicals, the second, you know, in, in musical theory, the second song of a musical is often called the "I Want" song, and that's because for a long mm. time, musicals were all structured almost the same way: a big world song, and then the protagonist sings a song about what they want. Second, um, musicals existed that way for a long time. They don't do that as much anymore. But the second song of the play is Natalie's. It's her playing a piano, singing everything else. And the song is sort of a, an I want song in negative. Um, it's about this <laughs> yeah. crappy, the things in her life that she's pushing against and how she wants to achieve more. Right? It's a song about how her family uh, she feels left out of and broken out of. And she wants that to be whole again. Um and so if 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 that's the I want song, then the I want for her is for her. She wants to participate more fully in her family and be more accepted and more fully loved by those parts of her life that is broken. And by the end of the play, that probably does come true for her. hmm.
1: Yes. I, I, I like that a lot, actually, because she does she goes through a struggle. Right. You, you the a big dramatic question within her storyline is, will this consume her? Will she succumb to her family circumstances and also the availability of her mother's drugs that are around and her, you know, burgeoning addiction to them? And, and uh, uh, finding
0: like a real, earnest love in Henry, um, different mm-hmm. from this sort of complicated love that her parents have for her.
1: And and I think ultimately, at least by the end, surely there is more conflict down the road, just as you said. But I think I think her story, that that path of her coming to. She made it through, and she's got somewhere to go now. I mean, uh, all all the
0: characters are protagonists of their own story. This musical is a really good example of many stories following a journey, um, and you watch them all. But hers is one of the few that feels like, if you imagine in your head like what a plot line looks like, um, at least a masculine plot line that has a climax and then a denouement ends in a resolution, hers might be the only one that actually does that in this musical. Both Dan mm-hmm. and Diana's plot lines seem to extend further out. Yep, um, into some other part of their life, into treatment, into resolution, into resolution in uh, maybe death, maybe uh, maybe mm-hmm. one of them or both of them find some relief or cure from their grief and illness. Yep, but that doesn't happen in this story. So, mm-hmm. and to say Natalie's the protagonist is sort of a. Uh, an esoteric, like <laughs> I, I think, I, Diana's not the protagonist. You don't know anything. <laughs> I mean, look, Diana's the main character. It's that's the big part. That's the yeah, one yeah. that knows. She's probably. I mean, she's definitely the main character. I'm just saying, mm-hmm. in this play, at least <laughs> Natalie's story ends.
1: <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna prolong us a little bit more then. And and see if we can hang out here for a second and ask you, how uncomfortable are you? Then saying Gabe is the antagonist.
0: I'm not uncomfortable at all. Gabe is definitely
1: okay. the antagonist. <laughs>
0: uh, he's like a super villain. I mean, absolutely. I've said that already, and it, like, it's such a weird part because part of it is pretending to be this sort of idyllic son. That she imagines that his him at 18 is this sort of perfect son, and and not perfect like always doing the right thing, but perfect like the most 18-year-old boy an 18-year-old boy could ever be. <laughs> Which means sort of contrary at times, not doing what his parents want, but also obviously athletic and gorgeous and brilliant <laughs> and all these things. So that there's that part of his life, but he also, the character also exists as a as a cognizant delusion. He knows he's a yeah. delusion, so he also lives in this world of, <laughs> of, of, at times trying to convince Diana to kill herself.
1: Yeah, and he he kind of pl- he plays as a, a trickster. I like the cr- contrarian as it. Uh, I think there there's, I think the 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 lack of my ability to say it outright um, has to do with um, the way he interacts uh, as if it causes him pain um, occasionally. I think uh, the betrayal uh, still. Registers for this uh, cognizant delusion, um, and uh, and that comes through in some of the songs, at least in the way that it's played. But I think ultimately his path is the way is the path to harm and pain. Right, and and, and I think
0: and let me say that he's like. He's an ant. I mean, an antagonist is just the the thing or the person or the whatever that opposes the protagonist's goal. So just, I mean, it depends right. on the specific protagonist. Uh, uh, Gabe is probably not Natalie's protagonist or antagonist. Natalie's antagonist mm-hmm. is probably her mother. And yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Diana, actually, Diana's antagonist might not be Gabe. It might really be Dan or Dan and mm-hmm. Gabe. And Dan's yeah. antagonist is mostly at times Diana. But if you look at the family unit and you imagine that the journey of the family unit is towards being healthy and whole, Gabe is the is the antagonist to that. He is the thing that prevents <laughs> them from being healthy and whole, at least as some of the characters define it.
1: Yeah, he's the active agent working against that. Yeah. Well, I think we're we have we've, we've gone on a little bit longer, but hopefully you enjoyed the conversation. Uh, there's there's probably much more that we could talk about in this as well. It's a it's a really deep, rich play with a lot of themes converging in one. Uh, so uh, if if there were anything, if if there was anything that. Sh- you interacted with when you read the play that resonated with you and that we didn't touch on, or if you have uh, a perspective to add to any of the topics we did touch on, we'd love to hear you, the listeners response to this as well. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at no script podcast. Our email is no script podcast at gmail.com. Uh, reach out on any of those. We'd love to continue this conversation with you. Uh Uh, further and further because uh, we could we could probably talk another 45 minutes about this play to be honest
0: absolutely right and this is like we said the last week of musical month we're gonna go back to talking about a play for next week that, you know, we'll do musicals more in the future so if you have some thoughts some realizations some comments on you know on musical month on our discussions about musicals if you think maybe we should spend a little more time talking about the actual music or things like that let us know we're, we're interested to hear we have felt really good about the discussions we've had and they've been a lot of fun so we'll continue to look for more musicals to do you can find those episodes and all the rest of our episodes on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. You can share this. Uh, all of the all the episodes have a link on Facebook and that's honestly the easiest way to find it is to go through Facebook or if you use Spotify regularly, probably those. Um, and you can share both of those. Just share an episode that you loved with your friends, with your family, with people who love scripts. That would really help us. If you leave a review on Apple podcasts or on Facebook, that would help us as well.
1: Yes, indeed. So until next week,
0: when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. And I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for tuning in to musical month. We'll be back at you next week. See ya!